All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the next installment of Rockstar 101. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He's the rock star. Class is in session. And to start things off for this episode, we are heading straight on over to Twitter. But before I get to the question, I would like to plug the socials one more time. This is at Shim Moore. That's S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. That's where you can find Shim over on Twitter. If you'd like to find me, you can find me over on Instagram. It is Brandon underscore Goat underscore Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S. And this question comes from Lucia Isabel Roos. And she's asking, and I'm going to read this verbatim coming from her. She says, why did you name the Tripolar album Tripolar? It seems that you don't have the disorder, but listening to the song, it sounds legit bipolar. Your music got me through dark shit. Thank you. Love the podcast. Coming from Lucia. So the main question there being, why did you name Tripolar? Tripolar. Well, number one, thank you for the kind words. That's very sweet, and we appreciate you very much listening to the podcast that we've been putting so much time and effort into. But in terms of why we named it Tripolar, uh, I think part of it was, number one, okay, at the end of the day, you got to have a cool name. you got to find a cool name for an album. And the other part of it was that we had songs on the record when we were talking about releasing it, because there is no lyric. Like, for example, the first album The Puppies released, uh, well, geez, the first album The Puppies released was back in Australia. It was called Welcome to the Real World. There was a song called Welcome to the Real World. Second album was called Dressed Up, of Li- Dressed Up as Life, and that was a lyric from a song. Um, and Connect, which was the third, uh, the fourth album, the third one in America, that was the name of a song. Tripolar was the one album where there was no reference to that in any song or any song title. And I think the vibe happened because while we were, we put a lot of time and energy into thinking about what the album title is going to be because it is pretty important. Mm -hmm. I like Rage Against, I remember, um, one of my favorite stories with uh, Audio Slave, which is obviously most of the members of Rage Against the Machine, and they made a conscious choice to say they really like it when the first album from a band is self-titled because it's, they, it's like planting a flag in the sand. It's like saying, this is the band. It's about the band, it's about the message of the band, and the name of the band should reflect what we represent, which Rage Against the Machine completely did. And they did it a second time with Audio Slave, where the first album was self-titled. We didn't do that um, only because, well, I'm, I'm just going to be real, when we were signed to a label in Australia, they kind of said... The opening track is called Welcome to the Real World. We think it's a good opening track. We think it's a great song. We think it's a great title. So we kind of had to acquiesce and say, all right, we'll call the album that. It would have been a bit weird to call the first album just Sick Puppies. But Rage Against the Machine is a very poetic and Audio Slave is a great name, so that makes sense. With Tripolar, while we were thinking about the album title, people were commenting on the fact that we had these really, you know, lush, melodic pretty songs like Maybe and White Balloons and, you know, Don't Walk Away. And then at the same time, we had like You're Going Down and War and some of these really kind of like someone that just came out of a mental asylum or someone that was about to break your face on the side of the street kind of songs. And someone said it was it's like, you know, it sounds like the singer is bipolar, but there were three different elements 
to the record. There was the really hard stuff, the really soft stuff, but then there was kind of stuff that was a bit in between where we would have breaks and bridges where it would break down and we kind of bridge the gap. So once it became that three, someone threw out the idea of like, nah, it's not like bipolar. It's like he's tripolar. And it was just a little fucking thing that someone threw out there. It was a little catchphrase. And immediately we went, oh, that's an interesting title. It's not technically a word. It's not technically a thing, but everyone's going to make the correlation to being bipolar. And so immediately we just went, oh, that's a great one word title. It's a play off the original word bipolar. Cool. Done. That was it. We literally all sat in the room. The moment someone, I forget who said it first, but someone said it and we just went, oh, and the same thing happened with Dressed Up As Life. We were in New York after we'd released the Free Hugs video and we were touring relentlessly and we had the single out and now we're touring on the single, but they're like, you got to deliver the record. You got to finish the record. And we're meeting with people who are doing the artwork and all that sort of stuff. And everyone's hassling us on a title for the album. So we combed through every single lyric in the album just to try to find a cool title. And it was actually our sound guy at the time who was reading through one and he just said, like, dressed up as life. And when you say it that way, separated from the song, it's it's a very, it's kind of a poetic, cool image mm-hmm. when it's not in context with the original lyrics. If you don't put what's before and behind it, if you just put it up there as its own individual, you know, its own individual uh, statement, dressed up as life, it it has a bit of depth. It has a bit of... It, it kind of actually states the fact that, like, you're you're basically referring to the mask, the mask that we all wear, the mask that is referred to in a lot of the puppy songs on the first record, and trying to, as a young man, especially for me, trying to figure out, well, do I wear this mask? What version of it am I going to wear? Is it really a mask, or do I take it off and let the world see me how I truly am? And that dressed up as life, trying to figure out, okay, how are you going to dress up for life? What costume, what mask are you going to wear? Once they said it out loud, everyone in the room kind of went, that is actually the theme of the record. That's kind of what the record as a whole sounds like. Same thing with Tripolar and the same thing with Connect. So thank you very much for your question. And that's basically a very long winded answer, but a very detailed answer. And that's kind of how we came up with the title. And I think that's how a lot of bands come up with their titles if they really give a shit about their music. Well, you you did get to go back and do the um, having your album just titled after yourself because your first solo album was titled Shim. Yes, exactly. And I, so and I, and I, I did that very consciously because I, I had, by that point, seen the interviews with the guys from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave, and, and I was at the point in my career where I was like, you know what, I did write and produce a lot of these songs, did all the work, I chose all the music, I paid for it, I'm like you know what, I don't care what happens with the music, but I'm going to put my name on it. I'm going to put my flag in the sand and I'm going to say, this is me, this is who I am, and that's how it is. And you can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, I know it's my best work to date and I'm very proud of it. And that was one of the, it took me a while to come around to being able to say, you know, I'm going to self-title it as Shim, but that's kind of just, at the end of the day, when I thought about other options for titles, I was like, look, it's just, it really is, you know, I was a guy in Sick Puppies, and now I'm back, and I'm doing my thing, and it's better than ever, and boom, you know what, I just went, fuck it, I'm just going to put my name on it, finally put my stamp on it, this is who I am, and it's out there now. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> hey, I think it worked. And if you want to check out Shim's music, be sure to hit it up on Spotify. It's all right there for you. Everything from Crucified, uh, Hallelujah, all the damn songs are right there for you. Including what's the, um, I'm blanking on the last, uh, Don't Wake Me Up, right? Don't Wake Me Up, the last song on the record. Yeah, the one that'll rip your heart out. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that um, I see a lot of people give feedback on Twitter about that song. If you haven't heard it, be sure to go check it out. When I, the day I met Shim was when he played that song. Um, he had it in a, like in a Dropbox folder, and he played it, and it was crazy. I mean, he at that moment, what we were doing was we were hanging out, we were having drinks, and we were having lunch, and Shim would give people his phone and his headphones, and they would go listen to it, and they would come back, and everybody would come back like, oh my God, like that's an amazing song. Yeah, I remember I gave it to your <laughs> wife, and she came back with like a little tear in her eye, and she was like, that, that, oh yeah. And she looked at you like there's a little private reference between the two of you, where she was like, you know that's what I've been dealing with. It's a really, yeah. I've been really lucky to have some of those songs where it translates universally. That's why I'm really happy when like, you know, that, that particular song is the most streamed song other than the two singles that I've actually spent money promoting. And it's still going up and up and up. People just listen to it. It's just one of those songs that happens to have captured people's attention. And I got a lot of messages from people saying, I didn't know someone else felt that way. It's a very dark, private emotion. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot to actually write a song about it, then record it, then have the balls to put it out to say, you know, it's a song about wanting to die. You know, it's like it really is. And it's terribly depressing. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that there are times when people say, you know, I, I saw a, I saw an ad on the drive over that was um, a big billboard that said, uh, help is out there, reach out, suicide prevention line. Most people don't have the balls to reach out. It's a really, really hard thing to pick up the phone and ask for help. But if you can have a song where you can passively listen and it'll give you kind of the same effect where you just feel connected to someone, someone's voice, anyone's voice that's saying, I've been going through the same type of thing, it automatically makes you feel less alone and it automatically has an impact on the world, even if it's only one person at a time like what I was trying to do last week with Brenna. So that's why I'm just saying I really appreciate when people come back on the Twitter and the Facebook and the Spotify comments and they say that they appreciate that song. That's the reason I do it. And that's why, you know, I'm going to keep doing it the way I do it instead of how anyone else tells me to do it. And that's the best way to do it for you. I mean, for yourself. I mean, that's because you're the one that ultimately has to live with yourself, you know, and if that's what you want to do, then by all means, continue doing that path. Like I've told you, um, for some reason, I always veer towards uh, maybe the softer song from a band every now and then. Like the perfect example is uh, Filter's song. Um, oh God, what am I thinking of here? Um, Take my picture? It's uh, No, it's not my time is the name of the song. Oh, okay. uh, it's a very low tempo, very kind of slow song. And I, I, for some reason, I really enjoy songs like that. Like another one that's really down tempo, but almost very depressing sounding. It's um, Mad Season's uh, Black Book of Fear. An amazing, an amazing song. Lane Staley's vocals are just haunting in that song. Same thing goes for Alice in Chains, Don't Follow. That's one of my favorite songs as well. That's another song. It's basically about dying, which I know I'm coming off as really depressing right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, like I just realized that. Well, because because it's that's is kind of what I'm trying to lead to here is, is um, something that happened um, about 15, 16 years ago, or maybe even a little bit longer. It's when I was first getting into radio and... 
you know, through the mid to late 90s, um, I was listening to a lot of heavy stuff. I was listening to a lot of hip hop as well, like Wu-Tang Clan and stuff like that. And when I got into radio, I was getting to run this radio station. And my parents wanted to get into what I was into. It's one thing I, I give my parents credit for immensely is that they were always very open-minded into wanting to be involved with the things that I enjoyed. And I remember my mom asking me if I could burn her a CD of some of the songs that I think that she would like. And I burnt her this CD and it was like a week later she came to me and she was like, Brandon, um, is everything okay? Like, do, you need, <laughs> do you need to talk to someone or something? Because this, I, and I didn't even click in my brain because at the time what I was trying to do is I was trying to find songs that weren't too heavy, that didn't have too much screaming. And unfortunately for a lot of the bands that I was going to give her, those songs are fairly sad songs. Um, like I have a playlist on Spotify that has this whole thing. It's got Incubus on it. It's got Warning, The, uh, the Warmth and Drive. It's got Seven Dust Angel Sun. I love that song. A Perfect Circle, The Noose. A Perfect Circle, The Nurse Who Loved Me, which is actually a cover song. Um, a Perfect Circle, Thinking of You. Uh, Green Days, Good Riddance, Time of Your Life. Colin Hay, Overkill. Um, oh, and then, and then of course, what really sold it was I put Cats in the Cradle and Mama, I'm Coming Home on that oh thing. So clearly, so clearly, she thought something was going on here. And I had to, I had to let her know, like, no, like I do, you know, kind of... Uh, head towards those songs sometimes on the album, but I was trying to give her songs that weren't going to be, you know, screaming in your ear the whole time because what ended up happening is my parents fell in love with Tool. Absolutely love Tool. And they would have Tool weekends where I would be off doing something. I think my sister was in college at this point or my sister was off doing something. So it was just my mom and dad at home and they had a six disc changer at home. They popped in every tool CD <laughs> and they just let them play. And they would, you know, my mom would be cleaning the house. My dad would be paying the bills. He would be fixing things like they would be doing kind of those everyday chores around the house while every tool album played in the background. That's and it was awesome. tool weekends. And that ultimately led to after my parents split up um, back in I think it was about 2011, 2012, I was back living in Portland a couple years after that. Tool was touring the West Coast. So I went and hit up Tool in Portland with my mom. And then my dad took me to go see Tool down in Eugene, Oregon. It was great. I absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I always kind of gravitated towards those songs and that's the one with yours with don't wake me up same thing it's one of those ones that you could put on a playlist but i'm just warning everybody out there you know if you're sharing It'll this playlist with anybody you might get some questions after the fact yeah yeah i've, I've been getting que i got questions after i released the song where they were like you know are you okay and the irony is is that the answer is yeah i'm actually okay because i was able to write the song i was able to get it out mm-hmm the problem is that most people don't have an outlet and they feel the same type of feeling. And if you listen to the song, you'll understand exactly what we're talking about. If you haven't heard it, go and check it out. It's the last song on my solo record, Shim. It's called Don't Wake Me Up. It's track 11. And um, it's the reason I was able to get through. I, I was over it the next morning, but I wrote the song that night and I recorded the song that night and I tried to re-record the song a couple of days later because technically, like, there are mistakes. Mm -hmm. There are a few notes that are out of key. I'm a little flat singing here. I'm a little sharp singing there, out of time. But I sang it on the night that I wrote it 
And that, that it was just one of those things where that take was the take. I was in the middle of the emotion. I was able to catch it. And then I couldn't catch it again. I had gotten past it and I wasn't there anymore. And, but making the song is what helped me get through it. So if, most people can't write songs. That's not their gift. Mm-hmm. Like every, everyone's got a gift, but I'm blessed to be able to write songs. But if you don't have a way to have an outlet, you're going to carry that emotion because you didn't let it out. You're going to, you're going to hold on to it and it's going to build and it's going to fester. And that's why people gravitate towards music in general, but also these particular types of songs. And that's why ballads are usually the most popular songs historically. Like overall, like every band has their massive, mat. like Sweet Child of Mine is technically the biggest hit Guns N' Roses ever had. It's the most played one of their songs. You go to Aerosmith, you got um, Every Breath You Take by The Police, you've got... Um, uh, don't want to close my eyes by Aerosmith. They've got massive hits as well, but that's kind of the song that people wait for. That's the song. Like the ballads are the ones that really pull on your heartstrings and create a soundtrack to your life. And they, people live through those songs. And I remember vividly when I wrote Don't Wake Me Up and I, I didn't want to play it to anyone because I was ashamed. I was like, this is a selfish feeling. It is a selfish self-absorbed, dark emotion, and it's a song that is just about that, and it doesn't have a payoff. Mm -hmm. It doesn't resolve. It just says, this is what I'm feeling, and I really feel like I want to die right now, but I don't want to take responsibility for killing myself. And that's a fucking heavy thing to say. It's a heavy thing to talk about. But I was really there. I was like, you know, I didn't have my band anymore. I had my my wife and my baby, and I didn't know how I was going to take care of them. And, um, and I, it's just one of those nights where I, I got like a few bad phone calls in a row and my wife and kid weren't with me. They were back in Sydney while I was making the album because I had to get to work. And there was one night where I just, it was too much. And I had this emotion where I was like, it's weirdest thing where you actually, and the, the reason I'm telling the story is because I didn't realize anyone else felt this way. <clears throat> but you look up at the sky and you say, can I please just fall asleep and not wake up? Mm-hmm. You don't you, you don't think about committing suicide. There's a lot of people that do. That is a whole nother level. That's a whole different thing. This is a separate emotion and a separate journey when you're just a guy or a girl that has so much stress where there's a part of you that's, and it's the most selfish thing you can possibly think. You're ashamed to think of this, to say, can I just go to sleep and not wake up because then people will mourn me and they won't blame me for committing suicide. And they won't say he's a prick. They'll say we were robbed. They'll say he was gone too soon. But I won't be blamed. I won't be responsible. But I can't fucking take it anymore. It's too much. Tonight is just this particular night. This one night. It's too much. I can't take it anymore. What am I going to do about it? And you have this feeling. And it's usually literally a one second thought. It's a one second thought. And then you kind of shake it off. And you bury it down. And you go, no, of course I don't feel that way. Of course, that's that's a horrible thing to say and a horrible thing to feel. And of course I don't feel that way. I'm not that guy. I'm not that type of person that thinks that way. But the truth is, I wrote the song and I buried it on my hard drive. I didn't want to play it to anyone. I wrote it and I let it come out of me because I remember I felt it coming out and I was like, I need to get it out. It doesn't matter if no one else hears it. I'm going to get it out and then I can bury it. It doesn't matter. 
But when I played it to a couple of people, everyone had the same reaction, which was, I didn't know anybody else felt that way. It turns out, this is a really deep, dark secret that a lot of people have felt that no one talks about when they're dealing with general life stresses of rent and mortgage and taxes and kids and wives and husbands and everything combined. And you put it all together and there are some nights where you just can't fucking take it anymore, but you don't talk about it. You want to be a big man. You want to be strong. You want to be the fucking gladiator, but we're not. The truth is women are stronger than men, straight up. They are stronger than us, but men have to try to be the big man. We've got to try to be strong. And they never talk about it. To get a guy to talk about the fact that he's feeling weak or ashamed or any of that stuff, it's hard to get it out of him. You got to get him drunk, and then you got to probe, and you got to like, yep. it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where like you get a guy drunk, and they're like, "Dude, I fucking love you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel, you know." But you got to. It's hard to get it out of him because we're trained to be strong, and we're not. We're just not. We're punk bitches most of the time, just trying to get through it and trying to do the best we can for the people that we care about. So when you have that feeling of don't wake me up, can I please go to sleep and just not wake up because then I'm not responsible for it? It's a selfish feeling. You feel ashamed about it. But when I put the song out, it resonated with so many people. And the whole point that I'm coming back around to with this, I know it's a long-winded story and and explanation about it, but the reason I'm coming around to it is because I am lucky enough to have evidence. Now, with that song, I have evidence of the fact that if you put your soul into your music and you completely open up and you talk about what you're ashamed of and what you're afraid of and what your, your, your scars and everything all out there... People will respond to it. You do not need to make music that sounds like someone else. You need to make music that sounds like you and open up every single part of you and it will work and it will connect with people. And that is what the most important thing with music is, which I personally think is starting to get lost at the moment in rock and roll and music. But to all the people who are listening who make music... I am lucky enough to have the evidence that if you really put your balls on the chopping block and say, here they are, this is who I am. This is how, this is, this, these are my sins. This is what I'm ashamed of. This is my flaws. People will automatically resonate with it. You will succeed with that so much more, even if it's not monetary success or record sales or whatever you want to call it, you'll affect people. And that is the most important thing that you can do is to affect emotional change, positive change in people. That's, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm sorry. I don't know how to finish, but it's very important to me. It's very important to me. It's the whole reason I do what I do. I was lucky to have a great week with Brenna this week where people were coming up to me saying they were handing me cash, cash money out of their pockets because they said, we've seen what you're doing. We appreciate what you're doing. More people should be doing this. And then it came back around to my music and it's very humbling. And I'm very appreciative that people say your music actually made a difference in my life. I actually hear your words And it sounds like something that I feel and that I think, and it connects with me. And it's the only reason to make music as far as I'm concerned. And that's it. I'm going to wrap it up there. What's the next thing, Brandon? (laughs) Well, it's actually a pretty good transition here because with what you're talking about with, um, with don't wake me up is it's a pretty smooth transition to James Hetfield. Cause that was the next topic that we were going to use to wrap up this podcast. Because one of the things that I would talk about on Loudwire Nights what I'm filling in is with uh, his song, Nothing Else Matters. He had written that song for himself. That was it. He had intended just to have that song. It was a song that he had written for his girlfriend and he wasn't planning on releasing it. It was just like what you were doing with Don't Wake Me Up. 
wrote this song for you. You buried it on a hard drive and you weren't planning on doing anything with it. And then all of a sudden, that's what happened with Nothing Else Matters. It wasn't until Lars heard that version of the song or heard Nothing Else Matters and he pushed Hetfield to release Nothing Else Matters. And ultimately it was released and it's one of their biggest hits, um, which is kind of the way that we transition now into James Hetfield now being back in rehab. Um, And, you know, this is, it's an unfortunate story, but I would always rather hear this story than the story of, you know, uh, Scott Weiland, I guess, of how it just ends tragically because they weren't able to to get out in front of the pass at time or in time and they weren't able to kind of put a halt to things. So when I see stories like this, yes, you can look at it and say, oh, well, that really sucks for him. Um, but obviously it was something that was needed. And at least I see that as uh, kind of the story picking up because you don't know everything that he was going through that led to this. I see this story as a good sign of he's getting it turned around again. And that's the one thing that sucks for anybody who's dealt with any sort of substance abuse or deal with any sort of mental issues or anything like that, it doesn't go away. Like people think, oh, well, he had a problem back then, but now he's okay. I, I see him with a smile on his face. Everything seems to be fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with him. That's not how it works. Like I don't know if people who don't, people who don't go through stuff like that, I don't think that they realize that that is something that you live with every single day of your life. And, you know, all the best to James Hetfield. Hopefully he comes back stronger than ever because I got to see them earlier this year, man. And they were amazing on stage, man. Metallica still just puts on a hell of a show. I even had on Facebook, I just had Facebook remind me of a show that I went to almost 10 years ago. And uh, I had I posted about that show saying that that was easily one of my top five concerts of all time. And it didn't even have anything to do with the big man that got turtled down on the floor. You know what that is? <laughs> yeah. You guys landed on yeah. his back and nobody would help him up. Like he got knocked down and then nobody helped the poor guy up. He was just down there rolling around on his back. I felt bad. I was like 15 rows up. I just laughing. Uh, felt like a dick about it though. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so James, James Setfield has, uh, has uh, re-entered rehab. This happened back at the end of September. So of course, Something popped up on the internet when you go to Google James Hetfield and rehab and stuff like that is that Adam Lambert has replaced James Hetfield in Metallica. Of course, if you're not familiar with Adam Lambert, he has done a phenomenal job of filling in as the lead singer of Queen recently. He does a great job. He's no Freddie Mercury, but then again, nobody is. But wait a minute, is this really is this really real? No, it's a fake story. I was going to say that's the dumbest fucking thing I have ever heard. <laughs> No, it's just, and this is unfortunately what happens with the internet, is it was a satirical website that's designed to write funny things. Unfortunately, I don't think any of them are really that funny. Uh, The Onion, I think, is hilarious. I think The Onion actually does a really good job of looking at society as a whole and taking a very good satirical approach at it. But unfortunately, that has spawned off just dozens and dozens of absolutely horrible satirical websites that aren't funny that aren't entertaining and it's one of the ones that did this it was right after james entered rehab that all of a sudden they decided oh we're going to put that adam lambert is replacing james hetfield in metallica and that's why you constantly need to go to snopes uh because you need to get fact checked you need to make sure that these stories aren't true and that's where it pops up is snopes is right there to say no this is not a real story it's fake it's satirical it's meant to be comedy even though it's not funny yeah even though it's not funny just that idea makes me want to hell. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I mean, 
I, I, I get what some of the websites try to do. I mean, I just said it. The Onion is absolutely hilarious. Um, there was one video that they had done where it was a government official talking about the health of America. And the whole point was this dude giving a press conference and he's just so frustrated with the United States and how horribly we eat and the fact that you don't eat healthy. And he's like, you'll stand in front of the fridge and shove three cold hot dogs in your fat face. Do it with a carrot, folks. That's all you need to do. And it's just it's <laughs> him getting frustrated constantly about, oh, my God, how is it you can eat so horrifically? Just please eat a goddamn vegetable. I think that's what it was titled was just eat a goddamn vegetable. What's this guy's name? I was just, it was a fake, it was a fake thing. It was a fake, Oh, uh, man, I love it already. As we, I believe, need to start wrapping up this episode of the podcast. Um, Of course, now is when my computer is going to start to lock up on me. But I totally agree with what that guy is saying. That's one of the the things that people ask me about the difference between Sydney, you know, from Australia to uh, America. And I'm like, well, the food tastes like food in Australia. And you come over here and there is a noticeable difference, man. You get a piece of chicken, doesn't taste like chicken. You go over there, it tastes like chicken. <laughs> Cheese isn't orange, you know, and, and yes, we do eat the vegetables, but I love the fact that you got a guy up on a podium screaming at the entire country saying, eat a vegetable! Oh, God, see, I wish I could, I, I, right. I have the video right here. I wish I could play it on the podcast. I don't think I can, though. You can't. Nah, it'll get taken down. Yeah, well... We looked into the we looked into the copyright law stuff when we were thinking of doing the uh, how many bands have their Wonderwall, yeah. and that was why I, I eventually when I get back to my studio in Sydney, I will do that podcast and I'll play the, a few of the different versions of Wonderwall. It still might get taken down, but at least it won't be taken down immediately because we're using the master recording because legally you're not allowed to do that. Well, and that's one thing that they do is they have they have bots that listen to things. And it's just a computer yeah. program that knows how to recognize certain sounds and certain elements. And if one of those things pops up, that's how you get pinged. I mean, that's how we got booted off of YouTube on our morning show. Um, we got on a 90-day ban, and we weren't even it never even specified what we got banned for. We just got a message from YouTube that said, oh, by the way... You guys had a copyright violation. You're now off for 90 <laughs> days. And, and like we tried to reach yeah. out to him. We're like, what was it? Nothing came from YouTube. It was just absolutely, we got shot down every step of the way. And it was infuriating because, you know, we're trying to put a product. We're not trying to use other people's stuff solely just to replay it. We're using it as as specific content, and I and that's where it gets really frustrating. Yeah. Um, no, it's come a it's come a long way from the free hugs video back before they were even monetized. Yeah, it. no kidding. You know, like it's 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 yeah, it's it's messed up. But there's a whole new there's there's a whole new wave of stuff coming. I think uh, YouTube, Google, they're doing great right now. But I think that uh, the same with rock bands and independent things. I think that uh, things are going to start to slowly shift and. And I'd, I'd like to think that people are going to start going to other places to get their videos, other places to get their music. I might be completely naive, but I think eventually people are going to get sick of being like, like we watched, um, uh, what was the documentary? I think we spoke about it briefly about the documentary that talks about how much they're using your information to sell you and effectively change your ideas. It was called, um, uh, why am I blanking on the name? <laughs> it's driving me nuts. Anyway, but the amount that Google and Facebook and, you know, bless them, I'll use them so that people know what I'm doing, especially if I'm doing stuff like raising money for Brenner or writing music that I believe in. But at the same time, I think that the amount of 
your information that goes into those websites that is shared and the amount of control that they have where it's like you put something up but there's like a sick puppy song or a disturbed song in the background because someone was playing the radio yep. when you weren't really paying attention and then they take it down eventually people are going to get sick of that shit I, I, and quite I think, frankly for myself I'm already sick of it because there's times where we're out filming stump, uh, something and we go to do you know Facebook live or something like that and something something's in the background and we have to tell them to turn it off because we're like we can't we we can't even have that in the background even if that's not the point of the video if it's just something that's being played and it just it feels like that pendulum has swung too far which i get why yeah, it started it in that direction because i mean hell the internet was the wild west back in the day man like 10 years ago or so you could use whatever the hell you wanted and it was highly detrimental to artists of all kinds i mean you could have just a, a, an individual person who was a graphic design artist they would put stuff up on the internet and you could just swipe that picture and there was nothing that they could do about it and it was just you used it and that was it all was said and done so i could see why it went that direction it just feels like we've gone too far at this point yeah well yeah we've definitely gone too far but there there's always an equilibrium it'll figure it, it I, that's the funny thing like when when uh you know when the puppies records were really popular it was the dark age of that time that you're talking about where the labels were just like what are we gonna do no one's buying records and they hadn't figured out streaming even though the bands we're like, well, we've got a website. If we just asked people to subscribe to our website for our music, we'd be able to make money. And so finally, someone comes along and says, all right, we're going to really overdo it. And Spotify says, we'll create a subscription service so that you can get all the music that you want. And then they divvy up the money. You're getting pennies on the dollar. The actual share that you get for every stream is just pathetic. But at least the irony is the labels are back now making money. My thing is I want to get to a point where the labels are actually able to say, we are now generating massive amounts of revenue, specifically from collecting from streaming on Spotify and YouTube and Amazon and everything put together, plus licensing, plus 360 deals, where hopefully they'll go back to when they used to develop artists and pick up a guy or a girl who's got talent and say, we're going to support you for a year or two years while we develop you and we're going to introduce you to songwriters and singing coaches and you know, pr producers, and we're going to, you know, do what we did back in the day with you too. Uh, it's not there yet. That's the thing that really pisses me off. And I get passionate about it because I know that the, la I know, I know because I'm in the business and, I, and you hear it through the grapevine and you can't name any names, but the labels are now making significant money every month just from streaming mm -hmm. because Spotify is making hundreds of millions of dollars a month, a month. And the labels are getting their cut of that because of the contracts they have with the artists. So they've got money coming back in. There was a long period where the labels were freaked out. They're not making any money. I can understand why they chose to do what they did and, and freak out and say, we're not developing artists. We're doing cover songs. We're just going to throw something at the wall. And if it doesn't stick, we move on to the next thing. We're freaking out. It's, it's like panic mode. But now especially in the last two years, Spotify has taken over and Apple Music has taken over the music business. If you ain't on Spotify, you ain't nothing. You know, if you ain't on YouTube, you ain't nothing. So there's money coming in now. And my thing that I keep bashing my head against the wall and I tell guys from labels and they're like, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, we know. I'm like, well, fucking do it now. <laughs> yeah. You know, like do it now. Like, you know, people deserve really authentic music you the irony is is that if you want really authentic music people are gravitating towards independent artists 
like me now because they're the ones that have the ability to not be governed by a label that's worried about what the chart position is going to be, what the market share is going to be, how many streaming playlists can we get you on, and what happens in the first month if we don't get 100 million views and then we drop you and then that's the end of that and your career's over but we own you for three albums and we're going to put you on the shelf. It's a fucking nightmare, dude. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's more of the Rockstar 101 business side that we will continue to get into on this podcast. (laughs) That's a good place to wrap it up. That is. It's a good place to wrap it up. So, what are the socials again, Brandon? Socials. If you want to follow Shim, he's over on Twitter. That is at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. If you'd like to find me over on Instagram, you can do so. Brandon underscore goat underscore coats. That is C-O-A-T-E-S. As always, if you have any questions that you have for us to answer on the podcast, you can fire those at us. If you have any topics that you would like discussed either, you're more than welcome to do that as well. Again, it's at Shim Moore over on Twitter and at Brandon underscore goat underscore coats over on Instagram. And on that note, his name is Shim. He's the rock star. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. Class dismissed. <laughs>